Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat. You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Friday, November 20th. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined by a rustic, uh, also sort of suave, Spencer Schultz here. There's a lot going on with this uh, this getup that you got here. This uh, crazy getup of a button-up. Bring, bring in the noise. Come on, bring the noise. Girls, Meanwhile, we have baitmall.com. <laughs> Wait, what? We got a bathe and ape, baitmall.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just on my full Robin Williams swag right now. Hell, yeah. What's going on, man? Nothing. Been a long week. Have another long week ahead of me, but got some fun Thursday night football on tonight. I cover the Cardinals for SIS, so a team I'm very familiar with. I already did their game against the Seahawks last time. It's going to be an interesting matchup, so I'm excited for that one. I'm excited for this Sunday for uh, whether the Ravens want to pretend like it's redemption or not. If a team kicks you out of the playoffs and you play them the next year, that's going to be a revenge game. Sorry, guys. My, uh, I'm working on the dossier tonight. Um, my title is definitely not a revenge game. They're definitely the Ravens are definitely not mad. They're actually laughing that everyone's bringing it up. They're not mad. It's not no, a revenge definitely game. not a revenge game for getting embarrassed at home in the playoffs, losing your second straight home game. Yeah, they uh, have an interesting matchup. It's going to be weird. It's going to be quite weird when they played the Titans last time. The Titans were peaking. They were had they had the most efficient offense in the NFL. Uh, they were on a f- absolute roll with their play action passing. Derrick Henry was on a roll as well. So they kind of uh, went to New England and handled business in a low scoring game. And including us, you know, everybody felt like it was, it was just destined for the Ravens to meet the chiefs in the following round and an early interception, uh, a couple failed fourth downs, a strip sack in your own territory later. And boom, wham, bam. Thank you, man. It's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited for the Ravens to face Arthur, Arthur Smith again, who, Despite having some struggles at times with their play-action passing game and things, just when he gets into the red zone, man, I, I think he's one of the best play callers in the NFL, uh, alongside probably the, the Chiefs with BME and 
Mr. Andy Reid and a few other teams, they do a great, great job in the red zone. The Ravens have done a really bad job defensively in the red zone. And we saw that come to a head last week where they allowed a couple touchdowns there. And there we go. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's two teams that feel like they are at pretty much the exact same spot right now, which is definitely kind of weird, kind of fun, a little bit of a mirror image of a season type deal where Titans started off looking pretty good on offense, pretty efficient. I would say the same thing about the Ravens. The Ravens may be even looking a little bit better, but they're both kind of struggling on offense right now. They've had uh, their individual struggles at certain spots on defense. The Ravens have some injuries to thank for that. I think that's the case with the Titans too. So both teams are in weird spots where they're six and three. They maybe feel like they shouldn't quite be at that mark or that, you know, they kind of need this win to propel them to what is hopefully going to be double digit wins and a, you know, comfortable playoff spot. But we're going to see what happens. Um, yeah, I think they're pretty evenly matched. I, for that reason, love the fact that it is in Baltimore because I think that's hopefully going to give the Ravens a little bit of an edge. But uh, we're going to see what happens for sure. We shall. The Titans are in the same position, as you said. Second in their division, lost to the leader, just like the Ravens did, and also lost to the Steelers, just like the Ravens did in a close game. And they aren't running on all cylinders. They're quite beat up. They will be missing their all pro. Is Taylor Luan an all pro? Probably. I think so. He's a pro bowler, but maybe not an all pro. I think he's Uh, been all pro at least second team. Maybe, maybe, but very good left tackle out their center. Ben Jones. I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. Ben Jones. Love his, love his game though. He has been one of the most underrated centers in the NFL lineman in the NFL. Uh, Gets really good push off the ball for somebody who snaps the ball. He's been great. And they're also missing, Big Roger Saffold, who, man, he was destructive against the Ravens last year and in general, huge loss. He is a true road grader, been a huge addition for them. And again, I mean, they let go of Conklin, and he was, you know, part of that starting offensive line that kicked some ass and took some names last year, won two road playoff games, ran all over people, had a 10-point lead in the first quarter in Kansas City. So a very different offensive line, and therefore, you know, you can say what you want about Derrick Henry, but... If you don't let him get started, he doesn't go anywhere. It's it's just like any running back. He can have a highlight stiff arm. It's a six-yard gain. It doesn't matter. So uh, that's going to be fun to see how the the likewise Ravens beat up front, which is probably going to be without Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell, matches. And I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on those edges, on Pernell McPhee and Judon to play some bully ball and, and really clamp down and make sure that they are able to, to chase down from the backside and do some things along there. So it's going to be a very different matchup than we saw last year. The Ravens aren't running the ball crazy well. They struggled against New England a little bit there. Uh, Didn't really have the opportunity to at times in a super quick game where they suddenly had a big deficit. And it's weird. It's it's two teams that are, you know, I wouldn't say they're treading water, but if they lose, they're going to be really treading water. So at this point, with the way the AFC looks, with all the teams with good records, the Browns, the Raiders, you know, some of these ancillary teams, that are kind of coming to reach strong points in their season might be ahead of one of these teams this weekend. So suddenly kind of catapults you up to the number one wildcard spot, I believe, or it uh, kind of sets you back. So it's, it's going to be tough. And as we're getting into the winter months, almost, you know, late November, it's time shit or get off the pot time. So it's in general, a big game. This is a big game and I don't care what anyone says. So ahead of the Lamar Jackson shit, this is a big game. So I guess we are in that sense sort of jumping into their offense already a little bit, so we might as well just do it. 
And yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to the fact that they are missing guys along the line and they're kind of weirdly like you talk about scheming guys open in the passing game. It feels like they're scheming Henry open a little bit for him to get those first couple steps that he needs to then run with the physicality. But like you mentioned, if you don't get him started, then he doesn't get going. It's a lot of like they'll play action it to one guy, then they'll go to Henry. Like I think they had a tight end in the backfield. They like faked it to him. Then they went to Henry on one. They had the red zone. It was their first touchdown against the Colts. They faked it to Henry. Then Deontay Foreman was like wide open. So they're doing all sorts of different things. Arthur Smith does look like he's incredibly creative uh, getting some of these guys open. But at a certain point, they're not the same team they were last year where it's just brute force physicality. There is some sort of sleight of hand to it a little bit, which uh, maybe Wink uh, could be set up well to stop that type of thing. But with some of the players that he's missing, who knows? What do you think? Yeah, I think that Ngakwe is a player who needs to have a big game in this one. Someone, you know, you mentioned the sleight of hand. Tannehill is an athlete. He is fast. And he is in that, I think Mahomes might be a little better of an athlete, whatever, but he has that similar ability to move where it can just be the the backbreaker at times on those boots and certain things. I think Mahomes obviously is a little more special of an athlete, but Tannehill can can hit you with some speed, and if you don't contain him, he'll get get around, get loose. But when you have a guy like Ngakwe, and also, I mean, it's it really sucks they don't have Campbell because those are two guys that have battled against the Titans, understand what they do on offense, understand their concepts really well. Uh, but Ngakwe, I think, will be able to – do some damage against some of those boots and some of those play actions with his closing speed. And it's, it's going to be a big game for the Ravens edges overall against the pass against the run. And I think that this is a real opportunity. I think LJ Ford's going to play again and Patrick queen, you know, he doesn't play hundred percent of snaps, but he plays, you know, 80, 90% of snaps. Queen had a rough game last week. He, uh, you know, I think his PFF grade was like one of the worst of all time. And I wouldn't go that far, but he was tentative. He, uh, you know, froze a couple times. And for instance, you know, on that throwback play, he he kind of peeked into the backfield and that was a no-no. You, you've got your assignment, so you need to execute your assignment well. But if you go watch the Colts game and watch some of the games where the Titans offense has struggled, it's been number one that the defensive front, and this kind of sucks because the Colts defensive front is incredible. And the Ravens are now without two of their top guys, but the play action is what hurts you against the Titans. And that's a lesson that was learned in the playoffs last year as well. The play action pass, the huge one to Khalif Raymond over top, uh, a couple couple key ones throughout that game really, really, really hurts you. You can't be frozen. And your DBs, as much as you want to say, you know, oh, it's great they don't have Earl Thomas anymore, you know, Deshaun Elliott, whatever, like the DBs need to be involved in in – solely stopping play action passing committed to that and and tight on that because if they start rolling with play action and, and find some holes and rhythm in it that is where the titans offense wins it is not the running game they can run all over you if they don't throw play action well they don't win they don't score points at a high rate so to me it's it's not up or shut up time for queen Ford. You know, Deshaun Elliott, this is this is the time for them to make plays against this play action offense. And it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. The Titans like to run those deep crossers and those long, you know, across the field routes. Tannehill has really good accuracy on them. So it's interesting to see that the Colts linebackers didn't bite, man. None of them bit. Walker made a couple plays. Uh, I've shared some from someone who breaks down uh, Zach Hicks. I think he might be of the, I'm blanking on the Colts, uh, SB Nation. 
Stampede Blue or something like that. Stampede Blue, yeah, pardon me. Uh, He's a great one. I've been following him for a long time, and he breaks down the ways that basically the Colts just didn't bite on play action. And in those cover three looks, making sure to take away that middle of the field read and not give Tannehill easy throws led to an inefficient offense that had to give the ball back. So once you can kind of get Tannehill out of rhythm and disrupted in that play action game, holding the ball a little bit too long, then you can kind of get back there and chase him down, corral him, get them in some second and third and longs. And I think another missing piece for this Titans offense that people don't talk about is Adam Humphreys. He is their, their slot guy. He's their Cole Beasley. He's their, you know, their Tyler Boyd, the guy that you can rely on in, in second and 10 to go get you six yards when you call a pass play if your primary read's not there. Uh, he was, when they started out hot, he was having a great year. And he's been out a couple weeks with a concussion. He hasn't practiced yet still. So feels like that'll be, I mean, the rule generally is if you don't practice Friday, you don't play. And it's Thursday. He hasn't practiced as we speak. And we're, you know, this is a Friday episode. So we'll see how that pans out. But AJ Brown's great. He's a one-on-one threat. You can, you can put Marlon Humphrey on him, man. You can put Marlon on him. Uh, Marcus Peters, I think can, can hang with Corey Davis a bit. And uh, Davis has had a really strong year, but overall it's, Stopping the play action is number one for me. Uh, you can you can say what you want about Derek Herring, but again, those play action passes, those deep play action passes break your back. And the, the Titans actually missed one. A.J. Brown had a big drop early in that Colts game, and the way that game went would have been a lot different if A.J. Brown is able to haul in a deep sideline pass that he's taken to the house. It would have been a seven-yard touchdown. A, and, that was a tone setter, it felt like. It's like, I don't right. know. This is not going to be our night. Right. And it was those Thursday night vibes, those short week vibes. And uh, it's, it's kind of ironic because the Titans are so freaking banged up from last week, but they've had a long week to recover. So at this point, what do you want to do? Another guy that I feel like the Titans really miss is Drell Casey uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And we'll get to the defensive side of the ball, but it's a lot of new faces. They acquired uh, Desmond King, guy that a lot of Ravens fans wanted for good reason. And you know, some new faces on defense, but on offense, it's a lot of backups right now. And John, John Smith has been not as effective. He had an ankle injury. We've talked about ankle re- injuries, ad nauseum on this podcast and how they really linger and affect guys' ability to, abilities to be explosive and feel really confident. And he hasn't had huge games. I think he had a red zone rushing touchdown on a creative play call again from Arthur Smith last week. So feels like they're, they're kind of without their, their bull in Saffold and some of their offensive linemen, and they're also without their uh, Matador with missing some uh, guys like Humphreys. So tough, tough game, tough game. I mean, the spread, I think, is a little too big. Started out at seven for the Ravens. I think it's right around six and a half still. I saw the f- uh, five was the last I saw. Five, I, uh, somewhere around there. It feels a little, feels a little big, but whew, if you go on tally site, everybody's picking the Ravens and Feels a little bit strange as the Ravens have kind of not played a full game of complete football in a month, in longer than a month since the Bengals game, really. And people had concerns about the Bengals game. Um, so it's been a while since the Ravens have really come out strong and played through four quarters. So it's going to be difficult for that Titans offense to do what they do. It feels like they're hurting right now and they still have the red. The, I mean, if they can get into the red zone, they're going to score, it feels like. That's what it boils down to. So keeping them out of the red zone is going to be huge. They have tremendous kicking problems. Uh, so it kind of puts them in, in go-for-it range. Goskowski has been, like, good from over 50 and the worst in the NFL from under 50 somehow. 
so really inconsistent there. Their special teams has been atrocious. They had punts blocked last week. That could be an area where the Ravens really step up, special teams. So wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be untimely for the Ravens special teams to make some plays, maybe see some crochet action or blocked punt. Chris Board knocks a ball out or something of the sort. Those kind of things could go a long way in this one. Yeah, it could. And I mean, going back to Tannehill, like he's been, I feel like low key pretty impressive. He started off the year really well, um, and he is exceptionally mobile. Um, kind of like you were talking about, not overly fast, but like when he gets out, he gets out with purpose and does what he has to do. And what he does, I think, better than what a lot of people will realize, and understandably so is he just doesn't take sacks. Like, no matter what he has to do, like, he finds a way to get the ball out. He right. finds a way to put it exactly where it needs to be so it's not grounding. There were, like, three separate plays where, like you mentioned, the Colts do have this beastly front, and they were getting in his face, and he was just getting the ball out every single time. Is there anything to for the Ravens or Wink to do? I mean, they're a team that's already kind of struggled to do this. Is there anything they could do to maybe ensure that they get home at least one more time this week on a guy that's uh, shown a propensity to be able to avoid that? I mean, a free rusher would go a long way. So this is a game where if you can really stop the run on first down and survive the play-action passing, get into those second and third and longs, that's where you can start overloading and bluffing and doing some of those things where – you might be able to get an LJ Fort or uh, Matt Judon or a Patrick Queen free and to race. But like you said, I mean, he he gets out quick. Some of Ngakwe, Ngakwe has had some crazy plays against the Titans. He's had some really fast sacks against the Titans. So him just winning quick. Uh, I think not over rushing is a big part of it too. At the same time, not running past him and, and giving him those lanes, uh, really playing contain but not overdoing it, making him sit in the pocket and, and really pick you apart, in, especially in non-play action situations and those known passing situations. I mean, the, I think I've said I mean 15 times already. No more I means. But they really don't light it up from the standard passing spread stuff. They haven't shown a propensity to be elite at that in comparison with what he does at a play action. So... I would assume they're going to try and do some max protect stuff a little bit more and rely on that athleticism and his ability to be smart and throw the ball away as it stands. Let's see of among quarterbacks with at least a hundred pass attempts. Tannehill has taken 10 sacks, which uh, not a lot. I mean, in the, in the neighborhood of how many pass attempts he has, pardon me. I think I'm looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick. Where the hell did Tannehill go? Lost my, place but he uh does a good job getting about 12 sacks there we go uh, Mahomes has only taken 12 Baker has taken 12 uh, Goff has taken 13 Kyler Murray taken 13 in that area so guys who like you said you know athletic guys who can move and understand that they can throw the ball over someone's head out of bounds and don't take those intentional groundings but <sighs> it's just tough make him sit in the pocket um Make him sit in the pocket, pick you apart. He's a big primary read guy. Let's see what he is without play action. But like you said, it's uh, it's a game of not overrushing him, I believe. Yeah, and it feels like um, a lot of motions that they're using to get Henry free as opposed to just, like like I said, lining up in that I formation and putting Foreman or Johnny Smith or whatever at fullback. It's kind of just like get this guy in motion, that guy in motion, fake it to 
fake it to this guy and then kind of give it to Henry and sort of let him do something. And it felt like it was a little feast or famine with him, though he did make some plays against the Colts. So I'm still very much worried about Henry, um, especially like he got some young safeties back there. I think Chuck could maybe hold his own, maybe squash the bug against him a couple times. But I do worry about Deshaun Elliott. If Earl Thomas was having trouble with him, um, Elliott has shown himself to be a little bit of a hitter, but you never know. I mean, it's it's a full full on Mack truck type of guy that's coming at you there in Henry. So Listen, I mean, it's just it's a a tough matchup, but for the Ravens to hold the Titans under 20 points, we can close on their offense with that. What do you think they have to do? I think they have to keep them out of the red zone. Keep them out of the red zone. They can't get inside that 15, that 10. They have a full kind of trick play playbook going on. I know my dogs are barking. There's, there's nothing I can do. So if you want to talk, go ahead. No, they're giving they're, their takes. I, w- I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear their takes. Yeah, they think that if you keep them out of the that 15 yard line area, that 10 yard line area. I mean, you. I said. I mean again. If you go look at their play calling traditionally from in that deep red zone area, those close close quarters, they're able to do different variations of sweeps, of end arounds, of screens, of quick passes that that get right into the flats. They execute boots really well, and they kind of use their big boys really successfully. So it's, it's maybe playing them a little bit outside in, in coverage, making them throw the ball over the middle of the field. If you think back about, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Foreman or you think back to the Jonah Smith touchdown or uh, another example was the pop pass Henry, the running back pass Henry popped up and threw. So, they don't run a lot of pass plays over the middle. So maybe playing them with some inside leverage and really forcing them out and not letting guys get tied up rushing around the edge and things like that. It uh, could go a long way. Evan asked chiming in here. Jake hasn't worn a hat in like three weeks. Wave if you were okay, bro. I thought I explained this. I wear the hats when my hair's a little bit longer because these headphones are for shit and they snag my hair in it. So a little bit shorter right now. So that's why. Uh, as we see Spenny going to deal with his dogs here. So I will jump into the comments before we transition over to the defense as he comes back. So we do not have to do that. So transitioning over to the defense. Little banged up. They've brought in Jadavian Clowney as one of their big ticket acquisitions. They also did add uh, our boy from the Chargers. Um, his name is escaping me for whatever reason. What is the kind Desmond of... Desmond King. Desmond King, right? What is the first thing that jumps off the tape watching this Titans defense. That's a little banged up. I mean, they're having a lot of issues overall. They, I mean, Malcolm Butler has been solid, but they've been without, it's, it's a lot of injury. They've been without Clowney. They've been without Dory Jackson, who's their top corner. Um, they don't really bring it as a pass rush at all. Harold Landry, a guy who's made some plays, but uh, Clowney's gotten pressure. He struggled to get sacks again. And, you know, that's something we talked about in the offseason regarding Clowney, but they just generally aren't super capable pass rushers. And that comes at a good time for this Ravens offensive line, who hopefully is having a seismic shift, sliding Bozeman in at center potentially, as has been on the rumor mill, according to 105.7 The Fan, and uh, given some different looks between that and Skura and Skura at left guard maybe, or who knows. But I think having the ability to maybe use the quick passing game more so use those screens, use those motions and quick, quick, quick looks will even further stunt their ability to pin their ears back. Uh, they have Jeffrey Simmons with, who's been great for them, especially as a run stuffer. Uh, he has 11 pressures 
12 pressures, seven knockdowns, uh, two sacks, I believe. Two sacks. Harold Landry with two sacks off of 14 hurries. Okay, there we go. 21 pressures and 17 pressures. So uh, hasn't been great. They don't generate a ton of pressure. Jayon Brown is a blitzing linebacker. Um, very vanilla pass rushing group. Not able to stunt a ton. Landry can bring some juice around the edge. He generally, from what I recall, lines up on the right side. So that would be Orlando Brown uh, over there at left tackle. And I like Orlando Brown's length to be able to, to take that away. I think Orlando Brown's done a really good job the last couple of weeks, just being solid overall and making sure that that he can be relied upon to pre- protect that backside and that blind side. So I, I think that a calm performance from Lamar Jackson again. And that was my biggest takeaway from what we saw last week with Lamar trailing and, and that whole narrative and whatever, the, wi- the wind, the rain, all that stuff. You know, he did throw a pick. I don't think that was an ugly pick, but he just looked very calm. He was, he was willing to take what was there and extend plays. And, you know, people talked about him maybe not taking open scrambling lanes enough, and, and that's all good and dandy, but uh, he can always do that. He can always do that. That's never going to be something where it's like, oh, my God, he, he can't scramble more. You know, if that, if that is something that is an actual problem to you, I don't know what to tell you. But to me, it's it's just max protection. I've, I like what the Ravens did in empty last week. They brought Pat Ricard in and, you know, Boyle goes down. They bring Pat Ricard in. Six man empty. Six man, or excuse me, six man protection with empty. So you're guaranteeing that there's going to be an extra hat to go occupy one of those slot blitzes and give him our time. Let him pick him apart. I would like to see this Ravens passing core freaking work with the scramble drill, man, a lot more. Guys are going to start. It feels like the, the common theme, again, we saw the Titans do it last year. They didn't blitz a ton. They had, you know, maybe 10 five-man rushes or six-man rushes. They rushed four a ton and were able to get a little bit of pressure, especially with Casey. And it felt like the Ravens weren't able to keep extending plays and making plays happen after the initial play. And that is what is holding this offense back in passing offense. And I think that at some point I'm getting pretty pissed if I'm a receivers, if I'm Cully, if I'm Roman, Roman doesn't appear to get mad about anything who knows, but I'm throwing Des Bryant in there eventually. If guys are going to continue just giving up after their initial route, it's pretty pathetic to watch guys just kind of tail off and not understand and have any kind of ability to snap upfield or really work back. Uh, Hollywood, I think, does a good job at it a bit, but he looks pretty discouraged to me uh, in those plays. And once Lamar tucks it eventually, then he's just going to go make something happen. We saw a ridiculous play at the end of the game last week against the Patriots where he picked up a first down when the Patriots rushed two and dropped nine into coverage, made three guys miss. So working it. And they're going to give more cover one, cover one, cover three, single high looks, I believe. Let me find these tendencies. It was like basically 90% of what the rate or 80% of what the Ravens see coverage wise on dropbacks is either cover one or cover three. So you got to run cover one man beaters. They did that a good bit against the Patriots. A couple worked, a couple, you know, were dropped and uh, pushed two down the field to Hollywood. Those didn't work, but cover three wise, I think that scissors 
is something that could really unlock this offense and scare defenses a little bit. It's basically where you just have twins on one side or you at least have two receivers twins. on one side. And twins. 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 Yin-yang twins. And they run a post and a corner. It literally, yeah, it like literally looks like scissors. Yeah, it looks like a pair of scissors. And what that does is it forces a switch off between a corner and a safety. And it usually kind of puts the safety in conflict as the corner is at a disadvantage in those situations more often than not. So wherever the safety goes, you throw the ball away from it. And I think guys like Duvernay and Brown, who are both explosive speedsters down the field there, line those guys up, let them run some scissors and see if you can hit a post or hit a corner and lay one over top. And it feels like Lamar's accuracy deep has been improving steadily and steadily, and he hasn't been forcing it. It was it was really shaky against the Chiefs. Um, we saw a couple big throws against the Steelers, against the Eagles, and hasn't been a ton other than that. I think that they uh, haven't taken a ton of shots. Last week, the, the throws were on target. He hit Andrews about 18 yards downfield. That got called back. He he hit Sneed in his chest between four defenders in a cover three hole, and Sneed was unable to catch the waterlogged ball, had a big-time drop there. And then Brown getting bodied a couple times. Those were all on-target throws, catchable balls. So I, I'm comfortable with Lamar's accuracy a little more so, deep down the sideline than I was a little bit earlier in the season. But at this point... Got a hit eventually, and feels like the Titans might be testing that a little. That that might be a dangerous game. They do have Byard back there. Byard did record a pick the last time they played, but that was a volleyball lollipop set by Mark Andrews off his paw when it was a little overthrown, and Andrews couldn't quite get there. And other than that, I mean, it's been he he did tell a telemail or whatever the hell the phrase is telegraph the out route interception to Kenny Vaccaro last year, but. We shall see. I think offensively, passing game-wise, Greg Roman did mention wanting to create a new identity a little bit. That might be a little placating the Titans, making them think. Who knows? But to me, you have a inexperienced, beat-up offensive line that doesn't have continuity. You know, Macari's going to be playing right tackle, it feels like. Bozeman maybe sliding into center for the first time. Who knows if it's going to be Fluker or Powers or what. Orlando Brown, while he's a natural left tackle, hasn't played there a ton in the last couple of years. So screens, man. Send Duvernay in motion. We saw that. Send Get those little quick hitters and let guys like Sneed and Duvernay run after the catch. Even Boykin. I would like to see Boykin get involved in that. Let that long body get. Let him you know, lean forward for a couple of yards. Get some quick five, six-yard hits and uh, spread them out. Run scissors. Run some of those, you know, a sale concept, something like that, where it just kind of same thing, a go on the outside with a, a uh, what is it, a seven to eight route where you kind of s- run the post corner. And again, if the corner goes deep, you throw it over the inside defender. If not, then you're going to have to try and hit the deep receiver on a go ball between the safety and the, the corner. And those kinds of things, those deeper concepts with max protection, I think would go a long way at this point. So hopefully we're able to see some deep connections against a somewhat struggling Titans defense. And I think in terms of the passing game, that would be a welcome sight. Good stuff. Yeah, I definitely think it is time to mix it up a little bit with the receiving options. It's time to bring Dez in and get him a couple targets. I know he got maybe a few snaps against Indy. Um, Didn't really, I, I don't think he saw any targets. He was obviously inactive last week. Let's try to mix him in 
I don't know if they're going to be calling up Culkin or Luke Wilson or whatever, or, or Sean Culkin or Luke Wilson at tight end for the tight end two spot this week. I'm not sure, but maybe try to mix those guys in a little bit. Just try to mix it up a little bit. And all this talk about like forming a new identity. I don't know if they need to focus on that too much. Maybe just try to do like one thing really well this week and try to execute that rather than this whole macro approach thing that they're taking. But I don't know. We're going to see what happens. It kind of, to me, comes down to uh, a tweet that you had. I think it was a good tweet before we got going here where Lamar is going to have to make something happen regardless of uh, what it looks like out there, what's going on. He's good enough. He's He's got to make something happen this week. He's been it's been good the last couple weeks, I think, um, in particular, starting with the second half against Indy. You know, he, he, he got it rolling a little bit, and he looked solid last week, though. I think in everyone's rush to defend him, they kind of are also not realizing the fact that he has the ability to make some plays and take over games in ways that he's not totally doing right now. So want to see a little bit more from Lamar in that respect. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, for the Ravens to score over 20, against this Titans defense, what what is the approach in your mind? So Cynthia Freeland, had one of my favorites, I've, I think I've mentioned her quite a bit on this show as well. She does uh, some preseason work with the Ravens, I think, too. Does she? Yeah, I think uh, she's involved with the broadcast a little bit. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes, yes, she is. You're right. Um, she is excellent all around. I love her analysis. She is a quantitative statistics champ, and she – Essentially spelled out that there's two major things right now for her, one good and one bad. And the number one that was good was uh, kind of mixing in third down differential, being a predictive statistic in terms of success. And she put that and, and looked at the different playoff kind of wild card teams, teams that are in the hunt, so to speak. The Ravens were strongest. They're converting 42.4% of their, or no, excuse me, it was early down run, first down percentage. So being able to convert a, a first down, running the ball on first or second down, mixed with third down differential, meaning the difference in percentage between your offense's ability to gain first downs on third down and your defense's ability to defend third downs on third down. The Ravens were the highest one. So that was her positive that she basically thinks they're they're able to keep them keep moving the chains early and keep themselves out of some third and longs, even though that hasn't always been the case this season, especially against the stiffer competition. But the second thing that she had was over the past four games, over the past month, that the Ravens have called a sequence of plays or sequences of plays similarly 42% of the time. And that doesn't have to do with run or pass or anything. It is or excuse me, it doesn't have to do with, with the concept. It has to do with the run, the pass, play action, things like that, you know, running the ball on first down, play action on second down, things like that. The league average is 25%. So we did hear Lamar, which I, I thought was, I did dismiss for the most part, talk about, you know, oh, they're calling run, they're calling pass. And we've heard a lot of NFL players be like, yeah, that, that happens everywhere. I agree with that. But if there's a DC, if there's a DC or if the DCs are really picking up on what happens on first down followed by what happens on second down and, and able to match the flow of the play calling, that's a problem. That's a problem. Those are tendencies. Those are heavy tendencies. And uh, I don't think that has to do with, with what Roman's scheme is exactly or what his uh, concepts are and his slants or you should run more go routes or whatever people want to say. But being able to pick up and be like, yeah, these guys do this on first down, follow it with this. If it goes, you know, if it's a success, then they match it with another run play. If it's not, then they end up with a you know 
end up going trips right and, and doing something out of that, throwing the ball. Those are easy to pick up on if someone keeps doing it over a long period of time. She said that Roman's been doing it since last year, since the beginning of last year and what she measures. So I, I trust her. I find her to be a reliable source of whatever she decides to put pen to paper and print to permanent in terms of the internet. And that's a little bit of a problem. So if she sees that, I assume that defensive coordinators do who have 15 man, 10 man, five man analytics teams. And you don't even need that, man. I mean, it's been going on as long as the game has, you understand tendencies, you make scouting reports, what motion means when there's a slot motion, how often do they run the ball? How often do they throw the ball when they do throw the ball, when there's a slot motion, what is it going to be? those kinds of things. That's how you do process of elimination and that helps your guys pre-snap and help them to diagnose quickly and make plays. So if Roman said, we're going to have a new identity a little bit, and that is maybe 11 and not using a ton of 22 and, and 12 and different things like that. And, and maybe running some new wrinkles with those screens, with RPOs, with scissors that I mentioned or sale route, sale concepts or things like that. This could be an explosive day. If they kind of, if Roman's like, all right, fuck it, man. Everybody's talking shit on me nonstop, talking shit on Lamar, says the passing game can't do anything. Um, go do it. Go unleash some new concepts, some new stuff. And like I said, scissors is not running a sale route with a with a fade out or with a fade or a go outside of it. That's not hard stuff to install. That's things that guys ran in college. That's, the Colts that's do it stuff. every week and they succeed at it every week. What'd you say? The Colts do it and succeed at it every single week. What? Running scissors and those type of pick plays and stuff. It's it's a Sean Payton staple, man. If yeah. you give him single high, he gashes people with scissors. And that is one thing the Ravens don't run. Uh, they don't run that post-corner. Mr. Garrison combo. runs it a lot, too. Mr. Garrison? Yeah, Mr. Garrison runs scissors a lot, too. I'm the, I'm missing that one. It's Scissor, South Park scissors. Oh. <laughs> Every so time you say Xerxes? every time you say that, it reminds me of that, which might be a little, little, a uh, little hardcore for these airwaves, but a, a funny reference nonetheless. I mean, if you know, you know. Scissor me, Janus. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Oh man! If they if they run it, I mean, I know the first thing you're tweeting now that I brought that up. Scissor me, Timber Xerxes. Janus. Oh God. Yeah, so I think at this point, you know, mixing up the blood a little bit, um, getting Mr. maybe Mr. Prochet, Mr. Des Bryant involved a little bit, Garnet in the comments here. And Mr. Here talking, Luke talking Wilson. I mean, I guess you got to call him up at some point too, right? I came home from a business trip and I find my wife in a gangbang. Now I got to start a frat house with Vince Vaughn and he's doing earmuffs all the time. This is too Frank, much. what are you doing running through the quad? You went streaking? This is crazy, guys. Why snoop in my backyard? Idiocy. I'm the most perfectly average soldier. Now I'm the smartest man on earth. You're my boy, Blue. Oh, this is going to be good. I, I hope they call him out this week. He's going to score a touchdown. That's guaranteed. That'll be so tight. Okay. Uh, um, I've been I've been ripping on I've been ripping on PFF grades a little bit. It's mainly defensive stuff. Yeah, I yeah. I really yeah. think it's tough. I really think it's tough to give grades on defense, and I think that it's it's not as difficult when. If an offense runs a zone, an outside zone, or a, or a stretch play, and it's a it's base versus base, you can grade guys on that and give accurate grades. I think blocking stuff a lot of times, you know, pass pro is not crazy hard to understand. Um, 
in terms of, of just watching guys one-on-one and things like that. Luke Wilson had some really good blocking grades, really good blocking grades. So that was encouraging. I'm not going to pretend like I've, I'm an expert on, on his play. I know he was fucking awesome in hard knocks and has made some plays for the Seahawks. He was on some of those Seahawks, really good teams. He got them uh, into the, uh, or I wouldn't say got them into the Super Bowl, but he kept their Super Bowl hopes alive in 2014 with that two-point conversion where Russell Wilson ran around for like a mile with the Packers chasing him all over the place, and he just hawked right. up Luke Wilson. That was, I think, the first big play I remember him making on that run. Right. So, uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see him get involved at some point in the next couple of weeks. There is going to be a tight end. There is definitely going to be a tight end involved. Uh, Grimble or Wilson or the third, whose name is escaping me. Sean Colkin, I believe. Yeah, Colkin. Uh, one of those three will be incorporated it feels like up on game day i would think maybe not wilson as it has been <clears throat> a quick transition and with covid stuff and intensive protocol the entire nfl is an intensive protocol now i didn't even realize that until yesterday uh, i think pelicero tweeted that out so definitely tough incorporating all those guys but yeah offensively um also the i, I will say the play calling has been shit in the goal to go in the inside the 15 for the Ravens. So while the Ravens and Titans mirror them each other in ways, that is not one of them. And maybe, you know, Roman can take a play out of literally take a play out of Arthur Smith's playbook because it has been dreadful. These bootlegs don't work well in the red zone, in the goal to goes uh, these outside run concepts people see coming when they run. It's, it's basically like defend the power read with Dobbins taking the ball to the outside uh, and, and, you might be good. So maybe let's just put Gus Edwards in down there and let him bang around a couple times, see if they can bully ball. If it's, you know, second and five, let's let's give Gus Edwards three handoffs and see what they can do. So I think converting down there is huge. Uh, letting Lamar maybe do those empty, empty six-man protections and the receiver's actually working in the scramble drill. Mark Andrews does work the scramble drill really well in the red zone. I'll give him that. You know who's going so, to be able to is Dez. I mean, that guy played with one of the, you know, all-time all scramble drill, yeah, all-time fire drill QBs of the 2000s. So I, I would like to see him get involved. Yeah, for sure. And he's a, a confident presence down there, where you know he's going to attack the ball, and it's going to be tough for a DB to to turn the ball over. So yeah, uh, this is going to be a weird one. But without further ado, I think uh, let's let's crack it into the mailbag. Why don't you get the Twitter one out first, and I can get my piglet drunken dog out of this room. Yeah, he's he's really going off there. Okay, guys, jumping into the mailbag. From the Twitters, which remember, if you want to submit a Twitter question, you can follow us at Podcast Beatdown, or you can check me out at Jake Luke, that's L-O-U-Q-U-E, or Spencer at Ravens for Dummies, and that is the number four. Opening up for this week, we start out with Dylan Leininger. The Ravens' D got cooked by the Pats' rushing offense early, but locked it down towards the end of the game, selling out for the run. Do you think they sell out without the D-line healthy and trust the secondary matchups to stop Henry? What do you think? Can you repeat that one? He said the last part was, who sells out to stop Henry? So it goes back to the Pats game, and it says the Ravens' D got cooked by the Pats' rushing offense early, but locked it down towards the end of the game by selling out for the run. Do you think they sell out without the D-line healthy and trust the secondary matchups to stop Henry? It's going to be, I think it's going to be five-man fronts, and they're going to rely, I think they have to kind of rush five necessarily, and use those hard i think mcphee needs to have another big game i think Ngakwe. maybe put judon over off ball over the center 
and uh, Thrill Wolf and and Matabuike and whoever the hell you want the third to be and in there and let them kind of really crash down around the edge, but you can't have your linebackers shooting gaps the way that you wanted them to against the Patriots. And they didn't, like we mentioned, queen had a pretty bad game. Harrison wasn't, wasn't spectacular. Um, they need to, to really be able to drop into play action stuff. And I expect the Titans to probably go heavier a bit with Ferkser and Smith. They run a lot of 12, uh, they use that fullback. His name is escaping me, but he's been pretty effective. Uh, he's somehow smaller than Derrick Henry, which doesn't doesn't not make sense as big as Henry is. But you need your five man odd fronts to to really be able to roll. And uh, Ellis, I guess, is going to be in there at the nose again, and it's going to be tough. I guess they don't have Ben Jones, so it might be a little easier. And Saffold able to fire off the ball together, but he's going to have to man up against some zone stuff and some double teams and drop knee, make a mess. It's really about making a mess in the middle and crashing off the edge, especially the backside. Whoever the backside backer is needs to really crash, and that sets you up for bootleg failure. The Colts did so, that uh, The Colts did that a good amount with their safeties on the edges as well, so it'll be interesting to see if they choose to go that route with Chuck and Deshaun. I think Chuck makes sense. Yeah, have Chuck up there, have him crash in the backside, see if he can cut Henry's legs out a little bit, but... Just tough when Henry's that big man. He'll fall forward five yards. And that hurts you when it happens 15 times. So having those guys down on the edges, Ferguson, probably going to get some run. Uh, all those guys going to need to make some plays. And if Ngakwe can be the backside guy, be the weak side guy, uh, then crash and burn it, man, burn it. And it's going to be tough because then they run the boot off of that. This is the basis of their offense. Play action, boot, and just running that zone stuff that's like mid-zone, outside zone, and letting Henry get a couple yards of, of steam. So you have to fill. If someone's going to crash, then the defender beyond them, the weak side safety or the weak side backer, then has to be able to fill and chase Tannehill. Otherwise, he's in space. He's accurate. He can hurt you with his arm. He can scrape by and get some first downs in key situations with his legs, especially down the red zone too. So... It's uh, it's a simple game, but the sleight of hand involved and the physicality of Henry and that kind of speed of Tannehill with his accuracy coupled hurts you. Hurts you a lot. Definitely. Moving on, Mr. Zeej Batman, our guy. For once, don't really have a question. Give me a good, obscure movie a 21-year-old might not have heard of to watch. An obscure movie a 21-year-old would like to watch. My favorite romantic comedy is a movie called A Lot Like Love. It's pretty mushy, and you can make fun of me. I don't think a lot of people have seen that one. I don't movie shame. A Lot Like Love, Ashton Kutcher, Amanda Peet. Amanda Peet has been my my number one celebrity crush for about 15, 20 years. Jackie! Saving Silverman and, uh, and that. Those are my, my favorite Amanda Peets. All right, Jackie. <laughs> what do they call in Saving Silverman? What do they call the nacho? The the big nacho. Jack I haven't Black seen that in for forever. It used to be on Comedy Central fifty thousand times a week. Yeah. So for me, for for a twenty one year old, so I'm on a big dazed and confused kick right now. I'm reading this oral history of the book that, or oral history book that just came out of it by Melissa Mayers. It's really good. But I just recently discovered that there's like a sequel to it that Linklater directed a couple of years ago called Everybody Wants Some that I recently saw. 
absolutely love it. It's basically just a party movie about this college baseball team. So if you're a 21-year-old, and if I know you like I think I do Zeke Batman, you'll like Everybody Wants Them. Check that out. Mike Luke, my brother, chiming in with Boondock Saints. That's a good 21-year-old movie for sure. Boonies is a, a must-see. Yeah, for sure. A must-see. You must take five five slaps your back of your hand if you haven't uh, if you haven't seen Boondocks. Moving on, Taylor Sink. Do you think Ingram will be the starting running back again this week? Uh, I think he means like let's say like who gets the most touches. Starter starter means who comes in the game on the first play. And exactly. Like, absolutely roasted by C and Fahey. Key and Fahey is his name. He crushed me because you're not blocking. No, me and him, I actually like a lot of his stuff. Interesting. Me and him uh, got into it because he said, and he ended up being right, of course, but it was like three plays into the 49ers game. This is what it was, like two weeks ago, I think. <clears throat> and he was like, oh, McKinnon is starting. Glad to see he'll be getting high usage again today. And I was like, just because he fucking comes on the field in the first snap doesn't mean he's getting high usage. Of course, Jermichael Hasty gets eight snaps and McKinnon gets like 55 in my face after I said that. But he was like, traditionally, it shows who who the offensive coordinator wants to be utilized throughout the game. It's like how like, in ba- in basketball, like I was terrible at basketball, but every senior night I'd get in for like ten minutes. It's like okay, it's like a senior night thing. Of course you got in. Like it's like starting running back. It doesn't matter. Like yeah, but in terms of touches, it's it's it it, it just is dictated by situation and personnel. Man, they like to use Gus in the pro stuff, in the short yardage stuff, in the heavy stuff. Ingram is trusted to block and is a receiver and on first down rushes, which I, mm, my God, the first down Ingram carries boil my blood, boil my blood. RIP to Nick Boyle. That's our guy. Yeah. My, my buddy Eric was all over that last week. The Ingram first down carries. Let's, let's put, let's put it into it there, Greg. Especially at a head, like heavier personnel or tighter alignments. It's just not going to do anything, man. Second and seven isn't a good place to be. Even And that's like a positive-ish result for that. If you want to go spread, if you want to go 11 personnel and really spread the field out, see if you can get a six-man box, run Ingram inside, let him bowl for five yards, that I can get behind. But going heavy, handing him the ball to the outside on outside concepts, pitching him the ball, stupid shit like that, on first and 10, is begging for second and long. When you have an inexperienced offensive line, your pass catchers aren't in good rhythm for the most part other than Snead, and you know your offense is struggling. When play action has been so much better. And of course, you can't just run play action every first and 10, but put Gus in on first and 10. Put Dobbins in on first and 10. Uh, Dobbins, to me, hasn't been good between the tackles. I have not seen him really busting shit up between the tackles. So it feels a little like tipping your hand when Dobbins is in, especially in the gun stuff. Ball's not coming up the gut. But I think you should change that, see if you can maybe do some split zone stuff get uh, the backside protected, let him make some cuts, things like that. I think it's time for Gus to really take over still. Uh, Dobbins had a couple flashy games, but when you play these better tackling defenses, and maybe the Titans aren't one, but uh, when you see these these better tackling defenses, I like Gus because he is plunging forward. He's, fought, he's making good cuts, smart cuts, finding the hole and things like that. And Dobbins out on the edge if the DBs can tackle and, and make plays like that, we've seen Kenny Vaccaro and Kevin Byard, two really good tacklers. Malcolm Butler, a pretty good tackler as well. Uh, Dobbins just doesn't like doesn't do enough for me, and it feels like he's getting the ball on the – feels like when he comes in, they run the power read. He's the outside option. 
and he keeps the ball, and then it's like making a slot guy miss, and then the defense is all over it. So I'm not, I'm not loving what I've seen usage-wise out of Dobbins. Time to mix it up a little bit. Ingram's going to get run. Edwards is going to get those short yardage carries. Dobbins is going to be in on third down and, and some spread stuff, and they like to motion him in and out of the backfield. So it's it's a lot, but it uh, I think they need to mix up those roles a lot and get things going because I feel like that's one of the things that tips their hand is who's in and where they are in terms of, of where the backs are. Speaking of which, uh, Dylan Leininger again, do you guys expect a more well-drawn-up passing attack this week or stick to the ground and control the clock? I know we've touched on it a little bit, but if you had to pick one or the other, what do you think is going to be more prevalent? If I could pick one to happen, I would say run the ball and drain the clock. That would be fantastic. Um, I would prefer that to happen, but I would like to see spread 11, you know, even Fucking 10, man. Get and Give Andrews a breather. He's about to have such a workload, and that's not the question. I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. But uh, I want to see some spread runs, some inside stuff. Get, get those lighter boxes. And, of course, you know, if you're not hitting deep, teams don't respect it. And being able to, being able to run the ball successfully dictates what coverages you can run and vice versa. When you're throwing the ball well, there's, there's certain fronts you're worried about and about not getting pressure. So... Um, hand in hand, they're just yin and yang, running the ball and throwing the ball. And if they can't utilize those concepts effectively, then it's, it's going to be a nightmare. But overall, I think that implementing the things we mentioned, scissors, some sail, some more flood, some deep flood. Uh, so maybe like, maybe the, I don't, maybe designed rollouts that aren't bootlegs too. Could be another fun one. Uh, and then additionally, just getting those quick screens off. I think the screen game has been coming along. We've seen some some sweeps, some sweep passes and things like that. Willie Sneed, that one worked really well. So keep those coming, man. They can get five, six yards. They make defenses respect you laterally, and they negate pass rush. So those kinds of things would be welcome sights. So you pretty much just answered Corey's next question about what, how are they going to change up the offense. And then we've also kind of already answered Ben Wallach's question about what the Ravens need to do to beat the Titans. I think we hit on that in the preview. So that does it for Twitter if you want to throw us over to the IG. Yes, sir. Matt Wilden, why does the media love Kyler and use him as a way to bash Lamar? Um, he's new, he's shiny, he's fun. I love Kyler. I love, love, love Kyler. But he's uh, they're on the exciting team, and the Ravens aren't exciting. They're struggling. So it's like, it's like you know, you date a girl, and she stops wearing makeup and starts wearing, you know, doesn't give a shit about anything. You're a guy, either way. Doesn't have to be sexist, sorry. But... Either way, they the person you're dating starts kind of letting their guard down and acting acting you know more what they would be without all the the bells and whistles and tricks and who they really are maybe a little bit and uh, a new girl comes along or a new guy comes along and they're dressed up to the nines when you're single you're seeing them out and about and they're exciting they're fun they've got jokes they're being charming they're putting on their good face they are experiencing you know you're you're experiencing some feelings for the first time towards them it it. It's infatuation. It's how it works. And it works in the media that way as well, where the Cardinals are a team that has been dreadfully piss poor for quite some time. They have a young head coach who's, in my mind, one of the best offensive innovators in all football. And the Cardinals clearly saw that. And, and you know, part of ways with Wilkes after a year, they gave Josh Rosen the kibosh, go get Kyler Murray, who's a unique and outstanding quarterback. And now the Cardinals are doing really well. They're exceeding expectations tootin' smoke up my own ass. I saw this coming. I thought the Cardinals were going to be a great team. I thought that Kyler Murray was going to be really effective. I thought DeAndre Hopkins was going to be an X-factor beyond even what people expected. And 
all of that has happened. So now the media loves it. Lamar's struggling and it, it creates a narrative. It creates a hot take and it makes good, good talk because we're talking about it now on our show, even though we don't believe any of that shit to be necessarily one way or the other, but we're getting questions about it. It's all over Twitter. It's all over TV. It's all over ESPN, whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, Adam Schefter tweeting out, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson statistics through nine games are very similar. Kyler even has more yards and blah, 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 blah. I mean, meanwhile, Kyler has three more touchdown passes with 100 more passing attempts. DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and one of the best offensive coordinators or play callers and innovators in all football. So at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson with a ragtag beat-up bunch and a bunch of rookies and, and no vets is three touchdown passes and less interceptions to Kyler Murray. So at the end of the day, I think Lamar is having an impressive season. I think Kyler's having a great season. Really exciting, really fun, and people like to talk. They have to talk. They get paid to, so that's what drives all that shit. Also, like, think about it from the perspective of a Cardinals fan, and think about it from the perspective of a Ravens fan in 2019, and think about how lame and pathetic and insecure Chiefs fans looked last season talking about Lamar, and like, every time a, a Lamar post comes up, some Chiefs fan would be under there talking about how Mahomes was better, and that has just ballooned and gotten worse to the point after he's won the Super Bowl. Who knows what's going to happen with the Ravens? Ravens fans probably won't take the route that they ultimately did. But just if you see something Kyler Murray positive, unless it's like an outright attack against Lamar, which like some of them are like Jason McIntyre and like some of these other clowns are doing that. But like Shefty will post like a comparison thing. And I don't even think he means it as like a shot at Lamar. He's just like, wow, Kyler Murray's doing really well. So just like always remember to bring context in it and don't turn into a lame, insecure fan that has to make everything about their team. Yeah, I I mean, a lot of it is kind of comparative and whatever, but it's just, again, it's still funny because from this point, for the final seven games, really six games, what Lamar Jackson did was like five touchdowns, five touchdowns, four touchdowns, three touchdowns, two touchdowns, two touchdowns, bench for week 17. So if Kyler can light that up, win his division, probably probably be MVP, and you and I will win a little bit of money because I put some money on that, and, and Jake got in on it with me, so... I mean, it speaks well to us because we saw it coming. We did see it coming, and I think we saw the Ravens not being a 14-2 and juggernaut coming again. So it's one thing to see that coming, another thing to live through it, which it is a little bit frustrating as a fan. But, you know, when you have that kind of perspective, I think it helps a little bit. So just always have the right perspective. Sure. Alex Bitzel, how did Broderick Washington look replacing Williams last week? Washington's not a meatball like Williams. Uh, He's more of a mobile guy. He is not a nose tackler or one-tech. He's more of a three-tech, four-tech, five-tech kind of guy. Uh, over the guards, over the tackles. Not great, not bad. Uh, all right, he's mobile. He didn't really get a chance to show it against that inside stuff. It A lot of it is is nuance, man. A lot of it is what makes Brandon Williams so good is number one, of course, his strength and his core and, and, and his uh, base. But being able to quickly diagnose what a center is doing, where the play is going, and what you need to be doing within a snap and a step it takes time at the NFL level because the snaps get quicker, the steps get bigger, the guys get bigger, and the guys get stronger. So uh, I think he was okay. I don't think he was good by any means. Um, I don't think we've seen him be a difference maker at this point, but I like his development. I think he's a athletic guy. Emory Hunt was really big on him. I think he had him as like the number two small, smaller, like mobile D-Tech in draft last year. Kind of gave me some insight into him, and and I went back and watched his tape along with Jordan Brooks, who's been really freaking good in Seattle the last couple of weeks. I need to put that game on, but uh, Broderick was okay. Moving on, Sagan Alsop, hard read. Lamar gets his first playoff win this year. Hard read. That's a weird. It was like hard read colon Lamar. I guess that's his statement. So 
that's what I predicted. That's what I think Jake and I predicted. Maybe they aren't 14 and two and they uh, might be able to go play a team like the Raiders or the Bills or uh, one of those, you know, I guess they probably won't be playing the Raiders unless the Raiders win Sunday. But one of those teams in the wild card and might be able to, to do some things. Play the Colts. I guess the Colts or the uh, Bills. Colts or the Bills would probably be pretty realistic shots for the Ravens to go win a playoff game in terms of teams that probably are going to win their division and then give the Ravens a shot. Chiefs, not looking hot without a lot of guys. Uh, Steelers, could could win that one too. Could win that one too. We'll see. But yeah. We'll, uh, we'll keep it flowing. Three tones with boil out. What changes do you see on offense? Hashtag let Lamar cook a little more. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of all you all you can really do is just let him go. I mean, let him run a little bit for one. Maybe incorporate some more design runs. I think Boyle probably actually helped a lot with those, so that might be tougher. Give him the green light to scramble a little bit, or encourage him to do that in some spots because it feels like he is leaving some scrambles out there. And maybe just give them some easier throws, give some of these receivers some easier opportunities to get open, like you mentioned, with these scissor routes and whatnot, and maybe running some pick plays and stuff like that, and getting touches to guys who are going to take pressure off of him, a la Duvernay, maybe coming on some end arounds. We saw him have some success doing that earlier in the season. Haven't seen much of that from him recently. So uh, yeah, just make things a little bit easier on him. Let him cut it loose a little bit more is sort of my base level hashtag analysis type thing. Um but yeah, I mean, it feels like the blueprint is out there. He's talented enough. Just go make it happen. Yeah, Andrews is going to have a lot on his plate. He's going to get a chance to prove that he can take on a, a bigger blocking responsibility and more of a primary blocker. Uh, what Boyle does in the read option is a lot of the reason for the success, especially on the perimeter stuff. So that's going to be a big loss. Moving on, Montero Matt. There's a lot of these. Montero Matt, excited to see the Ravens from the underdog position again. Underdog positions getting a little hot and heavy there, Montero, man. Always the spot we succeed. He's not well, wrong. I mean, underdog relative to like the top contenders of the league. Sure. It's it is, but again, they're they're favorites. They're still favorites. They're still being lauded as one of the best teams in the NFL is the thing. And I think a lot of the people who who are taking the Patriots loss seriously are discounting the weather in that game and, and just some, some injuries and some misfortune. So uh, I don't think they're underdogs, but I think that they're not the shiny new thing and they're, they're feeling some disrespect. And I do like that from, from the fan perspective, boss Haas double O. Do you think the O-line will have enough time to gel with all of the rumored changes? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, sure. They just need to get an effective right tackle out there. Feels like it's Pat McCarry and get the fucking snaps where they're supposed to be. You shouldn't have to, the snaps, if you have to think about snaps, it is so unnecessary and beating a dead horse, but just snapping the ball would be great. And maybe Skura Skura can go be a decent guard. He, He looked better at guard back in 2017 before he had to play center. So maybe. Outside of snaps, what is like, yeah, I mean, like outside of like, you know, looking like he, you know, had just had a night out on the town with the fellas when he's trying to snap the ball a la Skura, what else would Bozeman maybe bring to center that Skura does not have? Size, um, the ability to maybe make some more one-on-one blocks, get some push off the ball, combo, reach the second level. So Bozeman's been the puller a lot. I talked about that a lot last year. Uh, Yonda would bang off the ball. He would just be asked to move people off the ball. 
skirt or Bozeman. They wanted to kind of hide as he was still working on guard or yeah, working at just playing guard. And so they would get him into space and let him go attack second level defenders. Similarly, the center combos, meaning helps out on a double team to the right guard or the left guard, and then works to the second level and finds a linebacker. I think that Bozeman could be, could be athletic in that sense. He's also just a bigger, stronger dude. He, you know, isn't an undersized guard. And uh, I think he'll be able to anchor better against some of those big dogs. And they got a big dog in there this, this Sunday they're going to be against in Jeffrey Simmons. So uh, having him maybe be a little more effective there at the pivot would be nice. Plus, Skura's, you know, coming off the knee. Feels like he's less explosive, just less overall sharp. He, he has had some nice reach blocks and things. But Bozeman snapping the ball, get working into the second level better and banging guys off the ball would be outstanding. Moving on, Michael Murr, 12. Roman stated offense will forge a new identity. What could this look like? I think we already touched on that. Moving on. Pedro Rabellino, who's to blame on this bad offense? DaCosta, Roman, or Lamar? All three. I mean, you can blame all three. All uh, of them, yeah. Not, not having a tackle, a third tackle. As If Macari is able to step in and really play tackle... God bless you, Eric DaCosta, if that's what you had in mind and and foresaw coming. God bless you. But Smith opting out and just not really having a third one was risky as hell. Not having a backup tight end to Boyle and Andrews. Like, how many teams don't have a third tight end? Like, don't even have one. That's like on the practice squad, and they're like, yeah, we got a young guy ready to go. Like, what the, I don't know. We'll never know what happened with Charles Scarf. Maybe he just couldn't cut the scarf. But that was weak as well. Um I don't, I don't love what they did roster construction-wise. We'll see how it turns out in terms of, you know, buying the defense and growing the offense. The part with the, the the hard part about growing the offense is that it takes time to grow. It's not overnight. And Duvernay looks good. Dobbins had some flashes. Uh, I mean, the young offense, Brown looks good. Andrews has been having a rough year with a lot of attention. Hollywood... <laughs> I love him to death in many ways, but at the same time, it's like, how would, like, if they had a yak guy right now, they had a real yak guy, and they could have drafted, like, three or four. Deontay Johnson was never going to be a first-round pick, but he was electric. They end up with Boykin instead, who's, you know, an okay player, but they just, Hollywood can't. Someone said to me on Twitter, a guy that I engage with a lot, and I like a lot of what he says. I can't think of his user, his handle or whatever, but have we seen Hollywood do anything after the catch? Anything where he had to, has he made one person miss? Like, I get protecting yourself. He, I mean, it feels like he tries to, and then he like loses control weirdly. It's like, what's going on here? You're spinning. Yeah, he starts to like, he he tries to start hezzying, and then he like trips and falls. And he's the, uh, he's the, um, the totem from Inception. He's just like wobbling. It's like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah, Is it a it's, dream? it's like he hasn't even found a seam. He hasn't found a seam in a long time. Very rarely has made anyone miss. I get that he wants to, you know, keep himself healthy and he's a very tiny dude in the NFL. <sighs> Your number one receiver has to be able to get yak. He man. also just like, spent like six months putting on fucking all that weight and running up hills and stuff. So it's like I, we were expecting him to be physically stronger and we have not seen a, a drop of that this year from all the work he put in. We haven't seen any. Any just kick ass, any whoop ass, any of it. We haven't seen it. And it's really disappointing, especially the hindsight is is tough because Metcalf, Johnson, Brown, 
McLaurin. I mean, oh my God, imagine Terry McLaurin in this all. That, that one, everybody knows how much I love Terry McLaurin. That one really hurts me that Terry McLaurin was a possibility. And, you know, DeCosta asked Lamar and he said Hollywood. He said the Broward County guy. And, you know, fucking Flacco asked for what's his name? Uh, Tandon Doss. Tandon Doss. So I, Listen, I thought like, it was a great the thing move is, asking Lamar who he wanted. He said he wanted Jerry Judy and, and Marquise Brown. If it was Jerry Judy, I think this offense looks a lot different. I honestly think Hollywood was like a fine pick, but it shouldn't preclude you from picking other good guys. They could have gotten Terry McLaurin. They could have traded up for DK Metcalf, maybe. I mean, you know, just those would have been it's it's hard to say they should have traded up. It's it, that stuff is like, you know, who's on the phone? How much do you want to give up? How many picks do you need? They end up getting some other guys later in the draft, but he just can't do anything after the catch, and he's the number one receiver. So it's a mega it's tough. tough scene. Yeah. It's tough. Claypool, another guy that's crushing the Ravens, you know, maybe could have had this year, but tough, 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 tough. Moving on. So basically we just attacked Acosta, but I think they're all three to blame a little bit. Lamar has been, you know, okay. I don't think you can really blame him, but you can't exclude him from it. And then Roman, Roman is what Roman is. Hasn't changed. And I think that kind of goes on to DaCosta. He has an offense where you might need three tight ends. You might need some veteran receivers that can really help you out in some more. Uh, it's not that they're, it's not that their, their concepts aren't basic or anything. There's just not a lot of them. They don't variate in their concepts a ton, especially downfield. So having receivers that are like not really flashy. Kind of sucks. And I don't think I loved Robbie Anderson this offseason, but maybe you'd really love to have a Robbie Anderson as well. That's a guy that feels like he could take things off. But then again, he's playing for a great offensive coordinator and Joe Brady who gets him open. And I'm sure Joe Brady would love to have Lamar in that offense as well as Teddy Bridgewater's playing. Moving on, Pluke Surf's our boy. Pops up. Threatening Skura's wife? Question mark, exclamation point. Ravens fans got to show some class. Yeah, it's I agree. Like the whole, it's like the whole Instagram fans. Instagram fans. It's like the young kids. or the Yeah, yeah. They, like LJ to Andrews, like 69. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. We can probably like that younger generation. People that just like don't realize the the gravity of what they're doing sometimes. And that's maybe a larger conversation with cyberbullying and whatnot. So it's not okay, of course. Uh, I did want to close the show out, so I might as well just bring it up now with a shout-out to a good friend of the show, Matt Wise, who put together a great initiative to uh, shed some light on the fact that Matt Skur and his family donate to a pediatric uh, brain tumor uh, fund, and he went ahead and... Touchdowns versus cancer. Yeah, and so he went ahead and put it out there for the Ravens flock to make up for you know, their naughty behavior by donating to that a little bit. I think it's upwards of $10,000 just in Ravens fan donations right now. So a great thank you to Mr. Matt. We've, we've had some scheduling issues with getting him on the show. He'll be on here soon enough, uh, but he's a great guy, great friend of the show, and I wanted to shout him out for that because that's great stuff by him. $11,525. I think it started a little under two or a little under 2,500 bucks. So that was a really nice idea. I thought that was a cool gesture. It reminded me a lot of how Bill's Mafia rallied around Josh Allen. Uh, didn't quite take off like that, but uh, it, it took off for sure. And it just showed that there are classy fans. There are 
good people. And it was really nice. I think it was a lot of small donations from what I believe Matt said. Um, there's still 52 days left. There's 419 people who have pledged. I think it was like under 150 when it started. So go to pledgeit.org backslash Matt Skura. Again, that's pledgeit.org backslash M-A-T-T-S-K-U-R-A. Pledge anything you can, a dollar. It just it just shows some goodwill. It shows that you, you know, as a fan, I'm a fan of the Ravens. Jake's a fan of the Ravens at the end of the day. And you're supposed to support the team. You're not supposed to, you know, threaten their wives as fun as funny as it is when it happens in philly like or whatever let's let's have their back if you're one of the people doing that just rethink what you're doing with your life because you're just a fucking terrible person like when you're doing something like that like the cyberbullying you mentioned it it just makes it easier when you're able to do it without face to face or putting a pen to paper or something or any of that stuff but it's like what is what did matt skirt's wife do man Uh, matt skirt came back from a triple knee injury a horrific knee injury and tried to get in there. The Ravens throw him in there and he, you know, he struggled a little bit. He's had some, definitely had some good reps as well. And he deserves day, criticism. He, he Listen, cares. I, he deserves criticism for that game. And I went after him and I, I got my jokes in and that's it. That's the extent, extent of it. And I, I'm hoping he bounces back. I like Matt as a guy. I liked him as a player last year. I think he's had some strong points this year. I hope he gets back to where he was, deserves criticism for that game, but just don't take it too far with any player or with him. It's a game. It's just a game, Fokker. It's just a game, Fokker. Black Ice 85, when are the Ravens going to play Des Bryant again? I would think Pittsburgh would be the latest, uh, especially if the Ravens lose this one and the passing game is anemic. Have to think Des is in there. Have to. Moving on, Jared Williams, 97. Lamar's sitting at plus 9,000 for MVP. If they go undefeated and he starts going dumb, could he win? They go undefeated. Yeah, you know, I feel like he might be able to if they go undefeated and he starts going dumbo. If he goes dumb dumb, yeah, uh, sure. I think that's a long shot, as it's plus nine thousand. But we uh, we saw him at plus forty five hundred until that. Uh, what came first, the Rams game? I think the Texans game came first. I believe so. Yeah. Whichever one of that was, it was like thir- it was like 2,500, 3,500, 4,500, around that range. And he variated a little bit. After the Seahawks game, he was down a little and then like moved up some. And then uh, they crushed the Texans and the Rams. I think those were consecutive. I might be wrong. But then he shot up. It's always good to, to try and hedge those. But at the same time, I think Mahomes probably has this one in the bag, in my opinion. So... We shall see. Moving on, Whitehead Will. Always a great show. Love you guys. And he also, oh, he asked the question first. What adjustments and style of personnel would you make to the offense of all these injuries? I think we've discussed that one, but we appreciate the love. Adam Jones, 357, the five-time gold glover. Two things. Really tired of having the worst wide receiver core in the AFC North. Why not use Hollywood like DJX and Vic? I just don't think Hollywood's as fast as DJX, man. I just don't think he is. He's not really running away from guys. And I think Lamar is a little hesitant uh, turnover-wise. I think he, he he values protecting the ball with a uh, take-a-shot, young, cheap offense. And there were times against the Patriots in the, the first play of the game where it was, it was cover three, it was soft, and Hollywood had a seam as the safety and corner were kind of bailing with him, though. 
Lamar could have launched that bitch up and seen if he could have run under it and uh, didn't happen. So DJX was also a dog with a capital D and uh, Hollywood is whining on Twitter at certain points. And I still love Hollywood, but it, it just kind of shows, I think, a difference in mentality there. Yeah. And I think the speed just isn't Hollywood's not hitting 22 miles an hour. And uh, I'm, I'm disappointed because I thought he was going to be at this point. I haven't really seen him feasting on those deep routes and some of those deep things. But at the same time, you gotta, he's got to know that the ball might come his way if he does. It, it's really hard to be a receiver and run hundreds and hundreds of routes and just, it's hard to do anything and, and not get the ball. And that can be metaphorically or literally. When you keep doing something and not getting the ball, not getting the ball, not getting the ball. We also do have a, uh, just coming across the wire, a young cheap offense mention has, uh, has come out. That's why I said take a shot, young cheap. Oh, okay. Young, cheap yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Etsy deck, Etsy deck. What is a check down and why is it good? Check down is when you have a tight a, a player that is in the backfield or a tight end or someone that initially blocks or uh, they just don't really run a route. They kind of hang out underneath and they're away from the primary read. Usually a player at, around, or behind the line of scrimmage. That is is just a safety valve. It's where you can just flip the ball over to someone in the flats, or it just comes off of being an ancillary blocker, and allows the quarterback to have a, an emergency an emergency pull, uh, break the glass in case someone they can just kick the ball to, go get a couple yards, see if they can make a play after the catch. If you ever play Madden, if the running back or the tight end has that little blue route where they're just going to kind of chill next to you for a minute, uh, and the, then you can throw to them, that's kind of what you're you're thinking of. Ev Ash, are you Etsy deck? Etsy deck? It's E T Z E D E K. Acetic? Sounds like Etsy I deck. I don't know. James Harvey, why didn't the Ravens get Peco? Pico, Peco. Peco, Pico. Peter Piper packed a Pico, Pepco's. Pico. Uh, they're just moving on from that kind of stuff, I think, from the, you know, the old. You know, they let, they let him go. They let Bynes go. I think they were kind of ready to just say, like, okay. Just going to add some youth into this uh, this front seven here. So it's at Zedek. Got it. Uh, yeah, I think they wanted to go youth and, and move away from those kind of older, declining players. T Flan 25, thoughts on Dez. I think we, think we touched on it quite a bit. Get him in there, see if he can do some stuff in the red zone. Uh, he attacks the ball and he works a scramble drill well. I think that's what Jake and I pretty much agreed on. 2,800 tie. Who will have the better career out of Lamar Jackson, Flacco, as well as Torrey Smith and Hollywood? <laughs> uh, Joe's got a Super Bowl. Joe played a long time. Um, Lamar has an MVP, and people absolutely hate him and also love him. Joe couldn't have been like less polarizing into more polarizing as his career went on. And then Lamar, I feel like might be the opposite where it's like incredibly polarizing into just like, I don't know. I feel like, Lamar, I feel like Lamar is going to have like in I, ways, a Cam Newton like career. You know, I feel like, uh, I feel like people hated, <laughs> I think I feel like people hated Joe when the Ravens were like winning 10, 12 games a year because they thought he I liked- did. I, I hated him when he was young. I, I said to my friend Clay who comments and I think you met I was, mm-hmm. uh, when they lost to the Steelers, rookie year I was I looked at him and I was like the Ravens will never win a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco at quarterback and then and he went wrong and, yeah then he went and did it and I think it kind of 
he gave himself a little bit too much leash where like it was like 2017, 2018 people were still talking, myself included, were still talking themselves and myself into Joe Flacco. So kind of a weird figure in that sense. I think like Lamar, there's a lot of different things that are maybe a little more insidious that are baked into why people don't like him, which is why I think that's going to follow him his entire career. Uh, I think I do anticipate him. I've been making this comparison for a while. You mentioned Cam Newton. I think that's kind of what you're looking at. MVP, I think he's going to get one or two good shots at a Super Bowl. I hope he wins one. And ultimately, like you're talking about, you know, 10, 12, hopefully longer, but maybe around that window, years here in Baltimore and one ring, that's pretty much the exact career Flacco had, but with an MVP. So maybe even a little bit better than Joe, but Joe had an underrated good career here. Yeah, it's really hard to kind of predict the way Lamar's career is going to go. I think that he is a mega talented passer. Um, I think him and Deshaun Watson are really similar in ways. Deshaun, I think, is a little different in terms of liking to attack over top and, and being, you know, a great deep ball thrower, while Lamar is not a great deep ball thrower. So uh, Lamar avoids contact more than Cam. He runs a, you know, offense that asks him to do some unique things at the same time. Like, it feels like it's just time to not ask him to do as many unique things and, and see what he can just be as a, uh, Kind of a quarterback that just has that in his pocket where you develop an offense that can play kind of like a, a Harvey Dent, a two-face, where Rachel, no. they can really beat you with the okey-doke, RPO, heavy pistol, power pistol, you know, ace stuff. And then they can also hurt you as a, you know, two-by-two, three-by-one shotgun team that runs some option, but football's trending in the option way. The, you know, putting those defenders in conflict and using the quarterback as an 11th player, every play uh, is better. It's just better that way. And I think that's the direction football has headed kind of how, and the NBA and basketball has worked into shooting being more of a necessity, the deep shot and three ball and quarterbacks being mobile enough to make plays. I mean, Daniel Jones is like shitting on the Eagles and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, uh, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Watson, you know, all these guys now making these kinds of plays. So we'll see how it ends up panning out, but it's not going to be for quite some time. In terms of Hollywood and Torrey Smith, I, I love Torrey Smith, man. I really do. That one hurt. Letting Torrey hurt. It was insult to injury with Bolden and Torrey Smith both leaving. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And let's see if the Ravens uh, end up kind of doing what they did with Flacco, letting uh, letting Andrews go and keeping Hollywood and, and or excuse me, keeping Andrews and letting Hollywood go or something, that would, that would definitely be history repeating itself. Um, I don't think that Andrews and Pitt as careers, I don't think there's some destiny of Andrews cracking his hip three times, but hopefully DaCosta learned from the failure of Ozzy. You know, if you're going to pay a quarterback a lot of money, if they end up paying Lamar a lot of money, I sure hope they do. And uh, keeping him around that you – might want to keep his weapons that he trusts at least, you know, more than like one or two, uh, keep some continuity going. Feels like the chiefs are going to hang on to Kelsey and Hill and, and some of those guys. They even kept Sammy Watkins around. And I will mention, like I, I always have first two years of DaCosta, two receivers within the first three rounds, both year. So uh, that's encouraging. At least Ozzy, Ozzy just never picked receivers early and he would let guys walk. So that was kind of a, a deadly combination as we got into the, uh, the, throws of the passing boom where we are now 
Right. And, you know, I, I might hate to say it, but Vaz has beat this drum to death of like just draft, just draft tackles and pass rushers and corners and receivers. If you have a quarterback, just draft those dudes uh, early and often. And you can kind of find the linebackers and the running backs and the tight ends and the safeties and, and those secondary and ancillary positions uh, a lot more effectively without having to put as much capital into them. And and now with the corners again, I, I it really is just at this point, if Jimmy Smith can't play, I don't know what to say. You have Marlon, you have Marcus, you have Jimmy. They even brought in uh, Jamon Williams. You have Tavon, you have Anthony Averett. Even Bonds gets hurt. Your practice squad guys are getting hurt. So they could, they really couldn't have invested more at corner. There's always, I mean, like, as much as it kind of does suck and it is just sort of hashtag analysis, there is a a gravity that comes along with the Murphy's law associated with football. Unlike any other sport, like shit just happens in football so much more often than in other sports. I feel like guys get injured is weird ways. Balls, ball bounces weird. Like shit just happens. And like, it's happening to them in the form of injuries right now. Unfortunately, guys get rolled up on, they trip, they fall, the ball is slippery. The, the randomness of the sport, pardon me. Uh, there's a big, there's a big experiment or, theory on the amount of luck involved in all of the four major American sports. And the biggest factor of it is just volume. And that means games played and the NFL 16, the NBA and NHL 82 and baseball double that. So, you know, a couple, look at the bears. The the bears are the, one of the, they're one of the crappiest. You hate the bears so much. They were one of the crappiest five and one teams possible. They had an anemic offense, a good defense, and nothing, nothing going, but they just won a couple games they shouldn't have. And that made them think they were something that they weren't. It made, you know, a lot of people saw it coming, but that kind of stuff happens. And look at the Cowboys, man. Cowboys are one of the worst teams in NFL history. Like they played well against the Steelers. They have a bye week now, but they had the who's who of stars. They have three great receivers, a great running back, endless offensive line options, good quarterback. You know, Leighton Van Der Esch was a dynamite linebacker. He can't even stay healthy now. They have uh, Demarcus Lawrence, all these guys, and Alden Smith. All this talent. What'd you say? Alden Smith somehow. Yeah, Alden Smith is even great. Like after he hasn't played football in five years, and they and like. They still suck. It it just as you said, it's uh, Murphy's law, and it is what it is. I mean, the Bengals scoring a touchdown on fourth and nine, twelve, twelve, yeah, fourth and twelve, that ends up getting Lamar Jackson drafted, kinda like what the hell? That stuff is crazy. It's it's just crazy how things look over time, how running backs don't matter. How, you know, all these different things, all these weird, random things. I mean, Ronnie Stanley gets an extension and breaks his ankle days later. Days later. Your best player, maybe your best, I would say Ronnie Stanley is the best player on the Ravens. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that. I would say relative to his to, to his peers, he is the best player at his position on the Baltimore Ravens, except for Tucker, pardon me. But uh, he 
How does that, like that, <laughs> that's devastating. That's devastating. And then Marlin, within the same month, you have $200 million invested in Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey. And then one gets COVID and one has someone roll up on his ankle and, and completely shatter his ankle. One minute you're the cock of the walk, the next minute you're a feather duster. I mean, last year, at this exact same time, they're dancing around the field and they're doing the big trust and like they're doing their little press conferences and Tucker's doing the big trust thing. And Tim one Henry year came through. Yeah. One year later, uh, the ongoing global pandemic has hit and uh, it hits their uh, their star cornerback there. They're, you know, star, stalwart left tackle breaks his ankle and however many pieces he's gone after signing a new deal. Shit happens, man. Football's crazy. It's why it's why our game is the best game. Our league. Hashtag it's unpredictable. Yeah. yeah, that's why I love football. The randomness is the best part. The fact that I had a tweet. I had a tweet. A, uh, really tough. The Cowboys played the Steelers really tough and took it to the wire. I had a tweet like, a couple weeks ago about how like Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, like from a physical perspective, are the same person and like we're pretty much the same pros- prospect. And one of them like can't even get onto the field. One of them is a superstar in the making right now. It's that's just football. Yeah, that leads into our next question. B Rose nine thirty one. Am I wrong for having no confidence in the Ravens drafting and developing wide receivers? No confidence in the Ravens, I guess, my ability to draft and develop wide receivers. No, you're not wrong at all. No one has confidence in the Ravens to draft and develop wide receivers. They haven't done it. Yeah, they're the I worst mean, at it. They're better, I would say, than they've been before, but that's not saying much. Like, they're still not. I don't even think they've, they haven't developed Hollywood. Hollywood is, Hollywood is what he was when they drafted him. I don't think he's been developed much at all. And I don't think Boykin has been developed a ton. I don't, we haven't seen them undergo change they're not put in the right positions they don't feel decisive they don't the biggest part of it is trusting the play call trusting their assignment being confident in executing their assignment their route their read of coverage and they're not they're just not and that to me i don't the coaches have changed it it was it's not just under hardball it's been that way for as long as i've been alive so I don't know what it is. It's in the water, man. If crabs hate receivers, I guess that's what it is. Okay. He also said, why not give Des some play this Sunday? What have we got to lose? Sneed is the only reliable wide receiver. Sneed is the only reliable wide receiver. And I know that in terms of trust right now, trust, trust, please. Because downfield Lamar knows the reason Sneed's getting these targets right now it's attention too, and of course there's Andrews, but when it's zone coverage, he trusts Need to be the one to find the hole. So he looks away from him and comes back to him and rips him a ball. He throws to him underneath. He trusts him to go get first downs. Um, this is like a – I'm going to put an onus on this game. This is like a make or break for Hollywood season for maybe Hollywood's time as a Raven in, in ways. If you can't get going against a team that, you know – has struggled to defend the pass, has not been excellent on defense that leaves space and you're not finding space and Lamar can't get him the ball. Like, I do not know what to say at this point. There is a weird disconnect. I saw Hollywood get open many times against the Patriots. He didn't get the ball. When he did get thrown the ball, he couldn't separate after the ball was in the air. So it's like there's bad Juju Smith-Schuster all over Hollywood right now, and he needs to, to break out of it. Lamar needs to break him out of it. Even that uh, touchdown that got called back, too, a couple weeks ago. There's there's some bad juju on Hollywood, and the Ravens need to overcome it. The last one, Braden B2K6. What are the Ravens doing right this season? What do you feel like, Jake? What do you feel like the Ravens have that they uh, 
can hang their hat on at this point, six and three. What do they what do they hang their hat on? The running game has been fine. And I mean, I, I've seen a lot of things out of J.K. Dobbins that I wanted to see, not in production, but in traits. That guy can be a really good running back, and I think they're going to start using him correctly at some point. Gus has been really good. I don't know what I was expecting from him, but he's just been an even more souped-up version of what I think he was even last year. Um, the guy's just a beast. So I've liked what I've seen from a running game, even with the O-line being a little bit depleted. Uh, I like that Lamar has kind of been weathering the storm a little bit. Like, we knew there was going to be some struggles and some adversity this year. I think I, I drudged up a tweet I had recently where I said back in May that, like, there's going to be struggles and there's going to be statistical drop-off, but as long as he still looks in command, you'll kind of know where he stands and you'll have the confidence that you need you know, to, to hang on to that he's going to be the guy and he's going to be the uh, person that you want long-term. And I've seen that from him, I think, for, for the most part. Uh, and as far as the defense, I mean, they made some good investments. I know there was maybe some trepidation about overly investing in run defense, but I think Elias Campbell was the right pickup, especially for the price they got him at. Just fine. And uh, yeah, I mean, secondary has been still pretty strong. I know they're banged up right now, but uh, basically what they wanted to do in defense has worked so far sans the injuries, which is just kind of an unfortunate part of the game, like I said. What they're doing well is converting on third down. Uh, Their defense has kept teams out of the red zone. I think they've just played really sound defense overall without, you know, the first half of the Chiefs game and the middle two quarters of the Patriots game. Uh, they have done a real, I guess, the end of the Eagles game too. So maybe not all the time, but better than most teams. They lead the NFL in points allowed. They've hit the passer. They've gotten after the passer. They've gotten some sacks. Uh, there haven't been many blown deep assignments. I think the defense overall is is really in tune, cohesive. And I mean, you can't color me in a way that says that the Ravens don't kind of handle the Patriots without if they have Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams. I think even Brandon Williams early in that game. Uh, the Patriots were like, oh, that's going to be a, a, what is it called? A, I was trying to think of where two uh, faults come together, where like the San Andreas fault, can't think of the right name. An earthquake? I guess a fault. I guess a fault is the right word for it. But that's going to be the, the pressure point. That's where we're going to push and see and see if they can defend inside run concepts. And, and Patrick Queen's a little light in the pants and hasn't, I mean, Wink, said, Wink put it well. He said he came from college. He's a young guy. He has not seen an NFL pro-style rushing attack like that, and he hadn't. So he struggled against it. The Ellis was not, you know, he was holding ground a little bit, but he wasn't doing anything crazy. Matiboyke wasn't getting off blocks. Uh, the edges were kind of really shit in the bed early on, and Patriots gashed him. But other than that stuff, I think defensively they're they're strong. I think Lamar has showed that he can make plays in the red zone. Uh, even though I mentioned the play calling has been a little obtuse, in my opinion, uh, they have been able to convert touchdowns and we've seen some spectacular rushing plays from Lamar. Jake mentioned the running game. The running game is still good. We'll see how it fares with a mixed up offensive line. I think inserting powers, putting McCarry at right tackle, and we'll see who's left guard. If they do put Bozeman at center, that's something I've wanted for a long time over Skura. So maybe they're able to draft a guard in the first round. And uh, even though I kind of sung about positional value, but getting a really good guard feels like it'd be a smart move for this Ravens team. And uh, the run game has been good. That's, that's what I've got. I think they've been inconsistent. It's hard to say they haven't, especially offensively, but at the end of the day, six and three, if you're six and four, it's not bad, but it's definitely not where you wanted to be. And uh, seven and three would be freaking dandy, man. So that does it for the mailbag. 
Appreciate you guys. We had Cody McGowan. Do you think Harrison can be a hybrid Will Sam maybe in the future? Yeah, he already played Sam at uh, Ohio State a lot. So I think he, he already plays a little bit of Sam for the Ravens. Uh, some other things in there, whatever. But I think we've covered most of it, so let's uh, let's get out of here. What is What do we got prediction-wise? How are you feeling, Jake? Not overly confident, um, but I think the Ravens get off the schneid here um, and get to that necessary, I think, 7-3 and three mark. Necessary might be a strong word, but it, it feels pretty big. I'm going to go Ravens 23, Titans 19. I like it. Um I'm like kind of indifferent on this game. I don't know how to feel. I don't know how the Titans are going to stop the Ravens. I don't know how the Ravens are going to stop the Titans. They're the same. The they're literally the same team right now. Yeah, it's tough. And I feel like it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. So we'll uh, we'll give the home team, the team that may, might somehow miraculously be less banged up than the, the away team. Uh, I'll go Ravens. I'll give them a vote of confidence. I think Lamar Jackson has shown me that he's been calm, cool, collected when trailing. And I think he's he's kind of not pressing, which I mentioned earlier in the season, nearly as much. I think he's willing to sit tight and and let it happen and, and find the play. So we'll go Ravens. Ravens 20, Titans 16. Let's go with a low-scoring one. Sick. A weird game. Yeah, looks like we both got some slugfests. So... That's all we got going over an hour and a half. Really appreciate everyone chiming in on Twitter, on Instagram, and the YouTube comments. Uh, you know, lengthy episode for uh, what is, you know, shaping up to be an important game. We hope you guys enjoy watching it on Sunday and that the Ravens come away with that coveted W. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you're not already, subscribe to us on YouTube and on all podcast platforms. Leave us that five-star review on iTunes and a rating. Follow us on social media. Follow uh, the show Twitter account at Podcast Beatdown. Follow me at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. I'm inching, inching close to that thousand follower mark. I think I'm at like nine forty five and counting. So let's let's get me there before the end of the year. Only got another month or so. And follow Spencer at Ravens Four Dummies. It's the number four in the middle. Follow the main account at Be More Beatdown, where Kyle and I are tweeting from. Kyle doing his game day tweets there every single week. He does a great job. Uh, and check out the website, baltimorebeatdown.com, for our great writing. I should have the dossier up within a day or two. Spencer is always doing a great job crushing it with his film article. So uh, all the content is being pumped out as we uh, continue down this uh, stretch of what has been a frustrating but also in some ways fun season. I'm enjoying it, um, and I expect the enjoyment to continue on this Sunday. So appreciate you guys tuning in, and hope you guys have a tremendous weekend. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye. Happy International Men's Day. Dudes rock. Shout out to Evan. Dudes out. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.